The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, I am Roger B. This is Locked and Loaded, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. Now, I have to tell you today, we're going to start off with some criminal stuff that uh, seems a little unlikely in the way it's um, it's becoming, it's the way it's threatening U.S. streets and uh, big cities in particular have issues with these. Now, I don't know how many of you have driven in big cities and you come to a s- intersection and all of a sudden somebody comes running out, sprays your windshield with some muddy water and starts wiping it down with a piece of newspaper deciding, oh yeah, now you owe me money for cleaning your windshield. <laughs> Whether they actually cleaned it or not, who knows, but this is what they expect. You get it cleaned. Now, a lot of kids have been getting involved in this as part of cities' programs to try and put kids to work or give them something to do. And you think, okay, great, but do you really want kids running out in the street doing this? If they're old enough, perhaps. However, now it's becoming a source of, let's call it extortion. These kids, if they're not getting somebody to give them money or do them do what they want, they're extorting people to get money out of them, not letting them move, threatening to damage their cars, or even shooting and killing them if they get out of the car to try and proceed on their route. This is um, in Baltimore. A few days ago, a father of three was shot and killed by squeegee kids after getting involved in some sort of altercation in downtown Baltimore. 48-year-old mechanical engineer was shot to death after, after confronting a group of teens and young men with a baseball bat. So I don't know what precipitated the confrontation. I don't know if they threatened him, if they did something to cause him to get out of his vehicle and come after them with a bat. But in any case, they shot him dead. So they killed this 48-year-old man. Uh, so apparently you got to watch out for the squeegee kids, as they're calling them, because the squeegee kids apparently are resorting to violence. And it's crazy because business owners have known this. They see this happen right out in front of their stores on busy streets in big cities where these kids will, you know, harass motorists or bother them or threaten them. You know, and if you don't, if they do something for you and don't pay them, then they threaten violence or they threaten damage to your vehicle. And it's just crazy because most of this is illegal anyway. A lot of it is not legal in most cities. Some of it they had programs to try and get kids to work, but apparently that wasn't working. And some cities, I guess, have that available to them as a possibility, but other cities have laws against this, but they're not enforcing it. They're not enforcing keeping these kids out of the roadways and running up to motors and trying to help them. You know, it's just, uh, and this goes back, they say, to the 80s, where people could actually make a decent living by, you know, getting out in the street and, and cleaning windshields. And, you know, the really good guys had the right equipment, they had the right fluids and everything, and they would do a good job of cleaning a windshield off. But they were also usually respectful if you told them no. Now, though, it has become an extortion racket with uh, coercion and threatening tactics. It's just and they say the police are powerless to do anything and I'm thinking why would they not get these kids off the streets if they're extorting people? It's just, it's unbelievable. Like there was one, okay here we go 11.30pm, somebody was approached by a group of squeegee kids said he was assaulted but the assault did, the assault did not involve a gun but he refused to provide any details. 
I guess he doesn't want to go down as a witness against the squeegee kids. Now, a female driver was approached by this group of squeegee kids, and she offered to give them $3 in cash. They told her they don't accept cash anymore, only Venmo, a financial app. At that point, more young men approached, took her phone, used the financial app on her phone to steal about $2,400. That seems a little high for a windshield washing. So, I mean, where is this going to stop? Are they just, are police just going to allow this kind of behavior to go on? Who knows? But again, this goes back to the point I try and make almost all the time about being your own first responder. You have to be the one to be able to tell people, you're not interested. Get away from me. I will shoot you in the face. Now, I don't know what the laws are in Baltimore as far as carrying a gun, but I imagine Baltimore being as close to D.C. as it is, probably it's probably extremely difficult to get a carry permit. But then again, you know, if you choose to live in Baltimore or D.C. or any of these cities where crime runs rampant and the police don't do anything, you're voting with your wallet to stay there and putting yourself at danger for your own sake. So be aware of this. I mean, if your city has a lot of these squeegee kids or squeegee people, be aware of this and understand that, you know, some of them are actually hardworking people trying to make a living. And they may not bother you, but some of these people are just out to make money. They don't care if they do anything for you or not. They will use extortion and threatening tactics to get what they want. And if you don't give them what they want, they will force you into doing it. Apparently, the young lady had $2,400 stolen from her on her Venmo app because they stole her phone and decided to get into it, which to me is ridiculous. At that point, maybe that's maybe that's what happened to the gentleman who got shot. Maybe they threatened him or maybe they grabbed something out of his car. Whatever it was, he went after them with a bat and they shot him dead in the street. So be aware of this if you live in a big city and be prepared. Always keep your eyes open. Situational awareness is key. In fact, if you're coming up to an intersection and you see a bunch of these kids milling about and the light's red, you may want to slow way down and take a long, slow approach to that light and then wait for it to turn green before you pull up and move ahead. Or if you do, pull off to the side and wait. Hopefully they won't come bother you and get past as soon as the light changes. You know, you have to try and do something because no one wants to be a victim of crime if you can help it. And there are probably ways to avoid this. Of course, in some places, you're in a busy intersection. The light changes right as you get there. There's nothing you can do but sit through it. And hopefully it won't be anything more than, you know, a possibly pleasant transaction or a possibly non-dangerous transaction at, at least. So be clear and be aware of your surroundings all the time. That situational awareness is something I cannot stress enough. One thing I would be concerned about is pulling up to a light, having the squeegee kids come out in front of us, and not paying attention to what's behind you. Cock that rearview mirror, look behind you, make sure they're not coming up behind you trying to do anything. Check your other windows, pay attention to what's going on, make sure your doors are locked. There are things you can do to help make yourself safe. So be aware of that. And again, these big cities are probably run by liberals who think, oh, this is a great idea for kids to make money. Put them to work on the streets. But apparently it's not. So be aware. Be careful. Be situationally aware. All right, next we're going to go to Texas, where a mom was home with three sleeping children and shot and killed a home invader. And she was stating the castle doctrine as her right to do this, which in Texas, they have a castle doctrine. If someone breaks into your house without permission or without, you know, your express consent, you have a right to shoot them, apparently, whether 
and the threatening part of what they do is not as important as the fact that they were there without permission. This is where the castle doctrine gets a little cloudy sometimes in some places. A lot of st- states say they have to be threatening you. Well, this uh, the threatening applies to anywhere, whether it's in your home or not. But in, in Texas, I think in uh, Florida, Georgia, they all have the castle doctrine, which means if someone breaks into your house, whether you see a weapon or not, they are posing a threat to you that can be answered with deadly force. So she was home at night with her three sleeping children, and a man tried to enter her home, and she shot him and killed him. And she, they said she will face no charges because of the Texas Castle Doctrine, which permits a homeowner to use force against an intruder who unlawfully enters a home. So she said the woman said she heard the man enter her house through her laundry room at the rear of the home. Now, obviously, this guy's up to no good. No one just, you know, your friends don't come over and break into your house just to say, hey, no one who's there to do any good is going to break into your house. They may knock on the front door. They may get your attention through a window somehow, but they're not just going to break into your house if they don't mean to do you some harm or cause damage or steal things from you. So she heard him coming in. She grabbed her gun. She fired twice, hitting him in the chest. They found him sitting in the backyard of the woman's home in a chair with his chest bleeding. And he died on his way to the hospital of gunshot wounds, as he should. You know, you start, you know, and and don't start with me with this whole, oh, is something in your house worth killing for? Yeah, I think three sleeping children are worth killing for. Absolutely beyond any shadow of a doubt. Even if she was home alone. And she had a way out. This is her house. She's put her life, her time, which is her life, into providing these things, these things that she has in her house. And you know what? If the burglar thinks that losing his life is worth any of the things in his house, then he's making a conscious choice. This, this robbery would take place. He's making the choice that her things are worth more than his life when he does that. When he breaks into someone's house, he's making that choice. So don't put it on a homeowner that they're making a decision to protect their goods over somebody's life. That robber has made his choice as soon as he decides to break into someone's house. Especially if there's any resistance or threat or if he knows someone is there, whether they have a gun or not, if he continues, he's making a choice to go ahead and break into this house. He's making a choice to put himself at risk. So that to me is a no-brainer, and it should be treated as that. Now... Here's the thing. Did he have a legal right to be on the property? As far as I can tell, the reports say no, he did not. Now, did he provoke the person in the house? Just by being there was a provocation enough for a single person with three kids sleeping in the house. And it's funny because Governor Abbott of Texas has decided he would not reduce the Castle Doctrine law after a Texas Democrat introduced a, a bill that would require a homeowner to exhaust the potential of safely retreating before using deadly force in defense of themselves or property. This is your house. Why should you have to run away from it? That is completely ridiculous. I bet that Texas Democrat lives in a gated community with armed guards 24-7 protecting his family and his house and his belongings without a doubt. But yet he doesn't think you have the right to protect your own property like that, which is that's it's just I mean, I'm not saying for sure. I'm just I'd be willing to bet that this this politician has protections available to him that not everybody has. 
So be aware. But the governor said he would not sign anything that would lower your protection capability in a situation where someone is breaking into your house, which is perfect. Everybody wants to know that. So be aware of that. So if you have a castle doctrine in your state, be sure you read it over, look at it, see what it entails. Does somebody have to present you with deadly force or can they just be in your house without you? Can they just break into your house and be a threat by just being there? Some states are different. Some states will have different laws, but you need to know the laws in your state or whatever state you're in to know what your rights are or what your available protections are. So read up. Do your research. No. I always try and say anybody with a gun permit or carries a gun or has a gun for self-protection needs to be aware of the laws governing the use of deadly force. All right. We're going to have to come back in just a couple of minutes to take a quick break. I am Roger B. This is Locked and Loaded, and you've been listening to America's Web Radio. If you have lost a loved one and were left with a firearms collection and are not sure how to dispose of them safely, or you may have firearms you no longer want, this message is for you. I am a licensed FFL firearms dealer in the state of Florida, specializing in estate firearm purchases. It is very important that all firearm transactions be handled according to state and federal laws. You can contact me for information at Firearm Liquidation Service at Outlook.com, or you can call or text me at 407-921-8100-247 and ask for James. Again, for information contact me at Firearm Liquidation Service at Outlook.com, or call or text me at 407-921-8100. All communications are strictly confidential. If you want the truth about politics, medicine, weapons, classic cars, and more, you'll want to tune in to America's Web Radio. You can listen to all of your favorite shows live at www.americaswebradio.com or on demand on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. That's www.americaswebradio.com. Veteran-owned, America's Web Radio would like to thank all of our incredible patrons. We wouldn't be able to do this without you. If you are not already a patron, you can help us continue to produce some of the most informative and entertaining shows on the Internet by becoming a patron. Patrons of America's Web Radio are the first to receive information about new shows and links to the latest podcast episodes. Join now and receive a free gift while supplies last. For more information and to join our family, please visit www.patreon.com slash America's Web Radio. If you have questions, contact us at gm at americaswebradio.com. And as always, thank you for listening. If you love classic cars, you're going to want to listen to the Classic Car Show with Tom Cox and Richard Lentinello on America's Web Radio. Live every Saturday at 9 a.m. Eastern at americaswebradio.com or on demand on your favorite podcast app. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericaBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. I'm Roger B. This is Locked and Loaded, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. And right before we left for the break, we talked about a Texas mom who defended her sleeping children against a would-be bad guy. The best way we can put it. Someone was breaking into her house in the evening without permission or being invited, and she shot him twice in the chest, and he died on the way to the hospital, as he should. 
Now we're going to go to back to Texas because apparently there is some crime in Texas, but people take care of their crime much better. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> so this was a normal evening out for a family in Houston. Took a dangerous turn when they were pulling into their driveway. Again, this is a crime that was taking place in on someone's pr- property, on their private property. They had just arrived home back at midnight with two infants in the back seat of the car when two strangers approached the vehicle and tried to get inside the back doors. <coughs> mm. That's when the father shot at the sp- suspects multiple times from inside the car. Now, that to me is pretty brave. If you have infants in the back of the car to be shooting through the windows of your own vehicle. But I guess if someone's trying to grab your your infant children, you're not concerned about that. You just want to shoot. But again, I would be afraid of a broken glass getting all over the kids. But the suspects were taken to the hospital with gunshot wounds by two private vehicles. So uh, that's interesting. But they had security video from a nearby home that captured the incident. One teen suspect can be seen running away while the other one lies on the ground. Both eventually got picked up and were driven to the hospital. One of, parents, one of the parents inside the vehicles, as the suspects were attempting to enter, one of the parents fired off several rounds. So obviously dad defended his family, his infant children, his wife, and these were kids too. Both of them were 16 years old. So that's, I mean, this is the thing. Kids, I don't know, you know, I'm not going to say it's because of video games. I'm not going to say it's because of violent TV because growing up, I had violent TV. I had some video games, and it never caused me to want to go out and break the law and kill people. But the fact that there's most of the consequences for this are minimal because they don't get, most of these people don't get caught. Had they gone into the car, grabbed a bunch of stuff, and the car owner was not armed, they probably would have gotten away with it. Nobody would have pursued them. Nothing would have ever come of it. But you go try and grab an infant out of a backseat of an SUV of an armed father? Yeah. It's not going to end well for you. And apparently carjackings in Houston are becoming more and more common. And they were seeing a rise from 926 carjackings in 2019 to 1,216 the next year, and the pace doesn't seem to be slowing down. It's increasing every year. More and more carjackings are going on. So again, this is just one more time when you have to be aware of your surroundings, even if you're in your own driveway. You know, now granted, depending on your situation, depending on the terrain, depending on your you know house where you live, apartment, house, condo. <clears throat> Do you have a driveway? Do you have an enclosed garage you pull into? Be aware of what's going on and look for things. Pay attention. If you have a long driveway, you can see if someone's following you up that driveway. Or when you get to the top, look around. Use the, you know, as you pull in, have the headlights on bright, look around, see if anybody's nearby. Now, this is something that I like to do. <clears throat> when I'm approaching home or approaching my destination, I will remove my seatbelt a few seconds before I come to a stop. If I'm, um, as I'm pull, I'll pull it when I pull into my neighborhood. I'll undo my seatbelt, drive slowly, and as I'm going up the driveway, I already have the seatbelt off. So if anything were to happen, I am prepared to act. I don't have to worry about fumbling with a seatbelt to get out of the way of someone shooting through my windshield or in the way of me getting my gun and getting it up and running if I have to. 
So that's something to be, you know, and it's funny because I had somebody asking about, asking me about that not too long ago. They were asking, why do you undo your seatbelt before you stop? I say, that's exactly why I do it. Because if I need to, I need to be a, a ready to spring into action, to do what I need to do and not be restricted or have one extra step between me and me getting my gun up and running if somebody is there to do me harm. So that's that's just a little tip for me. If you think that's worth it, by all means, follow it. If you don't think it's worth it, well, then don't do it. You know, I don't know what your situation is where you live or how dangerous it would be if you were to get in an accident. If once you're in your neighborhood or once you're, you know, pulling into your driveway or wherever you are. But this is something that apparently is is going on and on and on. And they say four out of five carjackings in Houston don't even ever result in charges being filed. So four out of five of these guys are getting away with it and not having any price to pay for carjacking. So, yeah, if you're a criminal, carjacking looks like a pretty good, you know, 80% of the time you're going to get away with it. So, you know, why not? That's an easy money for a criminal. <clears throat> well, you know what? We should all step up. Let's make it less easy. Let's make it less profitable. Let's let's make it harder on the criminals. If you have the potential to get a gun, get one. If you have the will to want to learn to use it, get one. If you think you can take the time it takes to get familiar with it and use it properly, learn the laws involved, learn the skill necessary to use it efficiently, then get one. Now, if you don't have any of these things, then don't get one. <clears throat> I'm not advocating everybody should have a firearm. Some people are just too nervous. Some people are not willing to take the time it takes to learn how to use it properly or learn their local laws. So if this is you, don't worry about it. Call the police when you need to. Maybe someone else in your neighborhood will have a gun and they can help take care of you. But if you have any desire to have a weapon, make sure you realize there's more to it than just going to the store, plunking down your money and walking out with it. You need to learn how to use it. You need to at least use it every couple of months or at least use it when you first get it so you know what to expect when you pull that trigger. You know what's going to happen. You know how loud it's going to be. You know what the muzzle flash, what the recoil is like. So when the first time you shoot a gun is not shooting at somebody who's breaking into your property. <clears throat> so that's something you have to be aware of. Make the commitment if you're going to do it. And if you're going to do it, do it sooner rather than later, especially with these new bills coming out in in D.C. wanting to limit things on the gun front. They want to have red flag laws. They want to have, you know, restrictions on magazines. If you want to have the very best possible weapon you can, look to buy one sooner rather than later. And let me tell you, if for some reason you end up purchasing a weapon and you decide later, you know what, this isn't for me, I probably shouldn't have done this, this is not something I want to take the time to learn, it's not something I feel comfortable with having in my home, most guns are worth the money you pay for them years down the line. In fact, most of them, if you keep them for a long enough period of time, they will appreciate faster than the rate of inflation. So ha- buying a weapon is usually a good hedge against, you know, losing money. If you decide you want to sell it later on, chances are you can get close to what you paid for most weapons, especially if you take the time, go to a gun show or sell it to a private citizen following state laws of course. 
Some private citizens are allowed to buy weapons with just showing a driver's license. Some private citizens have to go to a gun store to facilitate the transfer. Whatever the law is, you have that capability of transferring it to a private citizen in most cases through a gun store or through following state laws. And, And let me tell you, most weapons will not lose very much value even in the first year, they won't go down too much in value if they're kept in good shape, kept with all the original accessories, boxes, things like that, make a difference with uh, a value of a weapon. So consider that. So even if you get into it and you decide later you don't want to be or it's not for you or you don't want to be responsible for storing it properly in your house, you got a way out. And you're probably not going to cost you very much at all other than a little bit of time it took to shop for it and maybe a few dollars of depreciation if you sell it within the first few months of having it. But most weapons are worth more years down the line or a year later than they are currently. Because, well, especially with our current rate of inflation being in the double digits, bye by far, the weapon is going to be worth more. <clears throat> Hell, it'll appreciate 10% just in the first year if you just let it sit in a box, which means you should be able to get what you paid for it easily. So, okay, I just want everyone to be aware. If you're going to buy a gun, do it now. Now, is there's no better time than right now. Now, granted, the prices are not the best. Ammo availability is still a little bit sketchy, but it's coming back pretty strong. The prices are still a little high on the ammo, but it's available. Most places have it available if they regularly carry it. I know Walmart, one of the biggest uh, sellers of ammo for a long time, has discontinued sales of all pistol ammo and anything they consider pistol ammo. So in that case, you know, that's no longer a viable option there. I can't believe they gave in to the libtards on this one and decided they weren't going to carry pistol ammo anymore because that used to be one of my go-to places to go because a lot of big box stores, and including like your, you know, your academies and stuff like that, <clears throat> uh, Bass Pro Shops, Cabela's, all the big, the big box stores, I'm sure not mentioning all of them because I don't know them all, but most of them have contracts with ammo producers and they get a certain amount of ammo and it's usually set in price before the beginning of their fiscal year. They have that available to them to set a price and know what it's going to be throughout the year. And most of the big box stores will hold their prices to what their purchase price is, a certain amount above that. Now, some of the private gun stores will do the same thing. They'll limit their profits on some of them, but some of them will charge a lot more if they have limited supply or they buy in smaller quantities. If they buy in larger quantities, when they get a better deal, a lot of times they'll pass the savings on. But if the demand is super high, it will fluctuate like a stock market. It's true capitalism at its finest. The price of these things will fluctuate based on demand. But that's okay. You don't need that much ammo to start. However, if you do decide to become a bit of an enthusiast, if you really do want to take training, if you really want to... Learn how to use your weapon properly if you want to advance your skill set, learning how to draw from a holster, learning to engage multiple targets, whatever it is, as far as you want to go. Keep in mind, you can also purchase ammo in case lots if you decide to do that. There are plenty of online resellers that sell it for a lot cheaper than some of the local gun stores, but always check your local gun stores first because a lot of times they have good prices as well because they want to be competitive and you want to help your local gun store survive. So be aware of that also. But just look around and make sure you get what you need to get started. Like I say, you can always wait. If prices drop down in the future, that's when you stock up. It's just like being in the stock market. You buy when prices are low. You sell when prices are high. 
So if the ammo starts coming down again or trickling down again, I'll try and let you guys know. Start looking for it. It's actually down a little bit from where it was at its peak back in 2020, but it still hasn't settled down to uh, pre-2020 levels. Of course, now with the inflation rates, I don't think it ever will. Also, with the supply chain issues of getting materials to make ammunition, these are gonna these are gonna be issues you're gonna have to deal with also. <clears throat> but you got to decide what is your family worth? Are they worth protecting? Is your house worth protecting? Are your vehicles worth protecting? You know, are your sons and daughters worth protecting? Absolutely, and it's a small investment to make. And like I said earlier, usually you have an option to liquidate a weapon and get really good money for it, even if you do it within a short time of the purchase, especially if you shop carefully for the purchase. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back after a couple of messages. I am Roger B. This is Locked and Loaded, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. When it comes to car magazines, are you tired of reading about mega-dollar collector cars you can't afford, or endless reporting on auctions and how-to tech stories that don't interest you? Then Crankshaft is the car magazine for you. Crankshaft is a 144-page softcover quarterly filled with all sorts of fascinating stories, the type of car features you won't find anywhere else. It features American and foreign cars, pre- and post-war era cars of distinction including sports cars, muscle cars, and regular family sedans too. To discover what many car enthusiasts are saying is the best car magazine ever published, you can purchase either a single copy for $12.95 plus $3 postage, or a one-year subscription, four issues, for $59.95. To order your copy, go to www.crankshaftmagazine.com. That's www.crankshaftmagazine.com. Veteran-owned, America's Web Radio would like to thank all of our incredible patrons. We wouldn't be able to do this without you. If you are not already a patron, you can help us continue to produce some of the most informative and entertaining shows on the Internet by becoming a patron. Patrons of America's Web Radio are the first to receive information about new shows and links to the latest podcast episodes. Join now and receive a free gift while supplies last. For more information and to join our family, please visit www.patreon.com slash America's Web Radio. If you have questions, contact us at gm at americaswebradio.com. And as always, thank you for listening. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the americasbroadcastnetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. I am Roger B. This is Locked and Loaded, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. And right before we left for the break, we were talking about... Now is a good time to buy a weapon, as good as any, especially with new laws coming in, federal laws on the federal level. It might be, I'm not going to say the last chance you have to get one, but it could be the beginning of the end. I need to see this bill and see what's in it that they're trying to push, and I haven't had a chance to look through it yet. But anytime they have gun control, it's going to drive prices up. It's going to put more restrictions And it's funny because the left talks all the time about gun safety and compromise. Yeah, we need some common sense gun safety. Common sense gun safety. How about teaching kids how to be safe with weapons? How about teaching adults how to be safe with weapons? That's gun safety. When you talk about vehicle safety, do you say, oh, we're going to just take more vehicles away from people? Or we teach people how to use them correctly. We put them in driving schools. We give them driver's ed. We teach them how to be safe with driving a vehicle. The same thing should apply to guns. People who have never handled a gun before, maybe they should just so they have a little bit of safety. Learn some of the basic rules. Never point a weapon at anything you don't intend to shoot. 
Keep your finger off the trigger until you're up on target and ready to fire. Treat every gun as if it was loaded. Always be sure of what you're shooting and the backstop. Make sure what's oh, and your target and what's behind it. There are certain things you should never forget. And these are things that everybody in the United States should know. We should be taught gun safety from an early age. And it turns out in Houston, that's exactly what they're doing. They're saying teach kids gun safety. That would cut down so much on people who don't know how dangerous the guns are. Now, granted, you're still going to have a criminal element that is going to take advantage of this and they're going to want to hurt people or harm people or whatever, just like people who drive. There are people who can't wait to get their license so they can go out and go street racing or they go speeding around on a freeway or, you know, act like they're in uh, <clears throat> Grand Theft Auto and, you know, drive crazy with a real car. So, you know, as many people as want to hurt people with guns, there are just as many people who want to hurt people or, or abuse the privilege of driving as well. So this is something that every kid needs to know, every parent needs to know. As a parent, do you know what to do if your kid comes up and say, I found this gun in the yard, what do I do with it? Do you know what to do with that gun? Do you know how to treat it? Do you know how to take care of it? Can you check it to see if it's loaded? If you don't, take a lesson. Find somebody who's an enthusiast. Get them to teach you. You can take one hour out of your life, learn how to unload almost any weapon manufactured, whether it's semi-automatic, revolver, rifle, pistol, shotgun, pump action, whatever it is, someone can probably teach you how to check it to make sure it's safe or at least show you to look for a safety on the weapon. Make sure it is placed on before you handle it. Keep it pointed in a safe direction at all times. There are certain things every adult person and kid should know about dealing with weapons. That would be the most we could do to increase gun safety in this country. But to just make it taboo and make it unavailable to people or make it it seem like anybody who wants to learn about it is some sort of psychopath is ridiculous. I mean, it's funny because we do the same thing with every other thing we have, whether it's heavy equipment, whether it's driver's ed, whether it's swimming in a pool. We teach safety as a way to become more familiar with it and to not make mistakes, to not have people drown, to not have people wreck cars into other people, to not drive like you're on Grand Theft Auto. <clears throat> you're taught what to do. That is the safety. Same thing needs to happen with guns. So you know what? That's something that needs to be done. I can't stress that enough. If you have guns in your house and you have kids in your house, they need to understand. If they find anything, they either know have to know how to treat it, know how to not treat it, and make sure they find somebody who knows what to do with it. Kids should know. You don't point a gun at anybody even accidentally. You keep your finger off the trigger. Always, I mean, there are so many people who they pick up a gun, the first thing they do is, you know, now granted, it's a natural position. That's the way guns are designed, to have your finger in the trigger guard. That's a natural way to do things. But you don't want to do that until you're ready to shoot. That's probably one of the hardest things for people to learn when they're new. And I see it happen time and time again. So when you lay down a gun on a table in a range, the first thing they do, they pick it up, their finger goes right into that trigger guard. Now, granted, most of them will not pull the trigger, but even if they put enough pressure on the wrong trigger, they could fire it accidentally. And the way to avoid firing a gun accidentally is keep your finger off the trigger until it's time to shoot. Or as a friend of mine says, keep your booger hook off the bang switch until it's time to shoot. That's real simple to remember. 
Now, a lot of people have been asking me. They ask me all the time, "Oh, what kind of gun? What kind of gun should I get? Or if I have a gun, what what should be my next one? What should be the gun I get after I get my first one? You know, well, what should I look for? What what kind of thing should I do? What if I want another one just like I have?" And Generally speaking, I tell people you want to diversify at least a little bit when you're talking about purchasing multiple weapons. It's just like if you have a car and you want a second car, you might go, you know what? Maybe my second car should be a pickup truck or an SUV instead of a car. Maybe my second car should be a Jeep or a convertible, something that would be a little bit more fun. You want to diversify because one vehicle, one gun will do a certain amount of things a certain way and you want to be able to expand on that rather than limit it to that one thing so the first weapon i always recommend to anybody who's using it for self-defense is a pistol now i know there's a lot of you guys who say oh a shotgun is better for home defense yeah maybe for home defense but if you're going to eventually get into the idea of carrying this weapon around with you if you're going to get around to the idea of being a concealed carry permit holder then maybe you should get a pistol. Also, a pistol is easier to maneuver inside of a house or inside an urban environment. Most pistol ammunition rounds are less powerful, so they're going to be less likely to go through walls, cause damage, travel as far, and potentially hurt somebody not involved in the situation. So also, if you have kids or you have wives in the house, a pistol is easier to hold. You can hold somebody's hand with your weak hand and hold the weapon with your strong hand if you need to help guide somebody else to safety. With a shotgun, it's very difficult to manipulate it with one hand while you're trying to guide someone else to safety. So I recommend a pistol first thing. Caliber, probably a minimum I would consider would be a 380. Some people think a 32 is enough. Some people think, well, a 22 is better than nothing. Yes, it's better than nothing, but is a smart car better than a Toyota Camry? Probably not. I mean, you get, you gotta realize the versatility is gonna make a difference too, especially if this is gonna be a home defense weapon. You want something that has enough power to stop somebody in their tracks to keep them from doing harm to you and your family. So, minimum of a 380, but then again on the other side, don't go too high either. You don't need a 41, a 44 Magnum, a 45 Auto Mag. You don't need anything too powerful in a self-defense handgun either. You know, you have to hit that compromise spot to where you have enough rounds to get the job done. It's consistent in the way it fires. It's easily controllable and doesn't take a huge amount of training to control it and shoot it properly. Because, you know, if you're starting off and you're the first pistol you have is a 45, that's probably not a great idea unless you've had some experience prior to this being your first weapon. Now, granted, a 45 is not a huge amount of overkill, and it's not ridiculously hard to control, but for someone who's just starting out and is fairly new, I would not recommend that particular caliber for anybody just starting out. And I certainly wouldn't want to get into the large revolver calibers right away either as a self-defense weapon most of these are more effective at hunting large game and things like that so i wouldn't recommend a 44 magnum revolver even though it looked great in the dirty harry movies not a good first pistol recommendation if you get more skilled and you decide you want to learn to hunt with your pistol then get a big caliber revolver a 454 a uh a 44 magnum a 460 smith and wesson a 500 smith and wesson get another caliber for hunting specifically if you want to if you want to stick to semi-autos the desert eagle which is a huge heavy hard to handle weapon but it does come in magnum calibers 
and probably the most useful of a high, a more, a more high-powered weapon in a semi-automatic would be the 10 millimeter. It was originally adopted by the FBI when they wanted something with a little more stopping power. Now, keep this in mind. They have since pulled back from that position and gone to a lesser caliber because the 10 millimeter was too hard to learn to control with rapid fire and doing drills and things like that, except by the most skilled pistolero, so to speak. So that's something you want to consider also. You don't want to overpower yourself, but you also don't want to underpower yourself and make sure that when you fire at somebody, it's going to be enough to stop them. That's the main reason to have to shoot somebody is to stop the threat. They're presenting you with a threat. They're coming after you. They're breaking into your house. You want to stop them from committing whatever crime they're committing or crime they're thinking of committing. If they're breaking into your house, they're obviously not there to do any good. Friends usually call before they come over or at least knock on the door or ring the doorbell. If this is what if this is not what this person is doing, they are not acting in your best interest. They are not acting in a in a friendly manner. Anyone breaking into a house is not likely to be a friend unless you ask them to for some reason. To go rescue your dog or something like that, perhaps. But highly unlikely as that is, someone breaking into your house is not likely to have friendly motives. And you want to be able to shoot them effectively without having too much muzzle flash, without having too much recoil to where you're comfortable with the weapon you've got and you're able to use it efficiently. So, okay, so now you have your pistol. You've become somewhat proficient with it. You know how to use it. You know what to expect when you pull that trigger. You know how much recoil you're going to get. You know how much muzzle flash you're going to get. You know when you pull the trigger. You know how to aim your sights. You know how to hit your target. Then you're going to look at your next possible weapon. You're going, yeah, I want to expand my collection a little bit. I want to get into something else. I want to have more guns. I like, I like the, I like the guns. I like the sport aspect of it. I like shooting them. I want to become a little bit more of an enthusiast. I want to expand my horizons a little bit. I'm thinking I want to take this up as a more serious hobby. What would be your next weapon? Now, a lot of people right off the bat will say shotgun because it is a devastating, close-range, effective self-defense weapon. However, the only thing about shotgun that's rather difficult is practicing with a shotgun is difficult because a lot of indoor ranges only allow you to shoot very certain rounds with a shotgun. So you don't get a lot of time to practice with lower-powered round because most of them are not allowed in indoor ranges. Now, if you have an outdoor place to practice, a shotgun would be a great purchase. And it's also versatile for hunting uses also. And that's where you'd come down to deciding what kind of shotgun do I need. <clears throat> Am I going to get into hunting? Am I just want to get this for self-defense? Is it ever going to travel in my car? Is it going to be... Something that never leaves the house, or if it does, am I going on a hunting trip? Am I going to shoot birds? Am I going to shoot rabbits? Am I just going to have this to shoot people breaking into my house? You have to ask those questions before you go purchase and decide how you want to be, what you want this weapon to be for you, how you expect it to to react when you pull the trigger. You want to know, can you control it? Can you aim it? Do you point it? How is it going to be used? Do you need a stock on it? Do you just need a pistol grip? All these things have to be answered before you actually go out and start trying to make a purchase on a shotgun. We're going to come back in just a minute and discuss a little bit more of that. For now, we're going to have to take a break. I am Roger B. This is Locked and Loaded, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. Since the 1960s, J.C. Taylor has been America's premier specialty insurance provider for classic cars, 
antique autos, modified, and custom vehicles. Our customers have trusted us to protect their prized possessions for more than six decades. For more information, or to receive a quote, contact our expert team today by calling 888-ANTIQUE, or by visiting our website at jctaylor.com slash awr. That's 888-268-4783, or visit jctaylor.com slash awr. Drive through time with peace of mind. J.C. Taylor. It's a museum, it's a showroom, it's an experience. The Classic Auto Mall in Morgantown, Pennsylvania is 336,000 square feet of rare, custom, and specialty automobiles on display and on consignment. From the earliest production cars to modern exotics, Classic Auto Mall is a feast for the eyes and the memories. Stroll through time in any season in this climate-controlled facility that you simply have to see to believe. Admission is free. Just remember to bring comfortable shoes. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. I'm Roger B. This is Locked and Loaded, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. Right before we left for the break, I was talking about expanding on a gun collection that you might have or a weapon that you purchased. You want to look for another weapon. And I decided we'll go with the shotgun next. It may not be the next choice you want to make. There's probably either shotgun or rifle would be your second choice and something like that after you've got your pistol ranges covered. <clears throat> now, I was talking about shotguns. And shotguns, there are a number of choices. Ideally, if you're just going to use it for self-defense, you can get a shorter barrel. You can get something that with a higher capacity is more necessary. Because, you know, having to reload a shotgun while you're in the midst of defending yourself is not always the easiest thing to do, but it can be accomplished very easily with proper training. And then people ask me all the time, pumps or automatics? Pumps or automatics? And they're both very effective weapons. And generally, I would say, semi. when I say automatics, I mean semi-automatics. I'm sorry, I don't mean to uh, confuse and make you think you can buy a fully automatic shotgun. But a semi-automatic shotgun versus a pump-action shotgun. Now, the semi-automatic generally is either recoil or gas-operated, and will, when you pull the trigger, it fires the shell, puts the bolt back into the furthest back position, slides forward, picks up a new round, and is ready to fire again. So there's no manipulation between firing the trigger and firing the, firing the first round by pulling the trigger and firing the second round by pulling the trigger. There's nothing more to it than that. Now, with a pump action, which you've probably seen if you've seen any kind of movies with shotguns in them, you know, the Terminator movie is one of my favorite because she manages to pump the gun one-handed, <laughs> which is which is not that difficult to do. It's just not recommended unless you don't have use of your other arm. But that's one case where a semi-automatic shotgun would come in handy. With one hand, it'd be much easier to manipulate that and start firing it than to try and pump a a shotgun when you only have use of one arm. But anyway, the pump-action shotgun requires you to grab the forend, slide it back to the back, push it forward, and that ejects the old empty shell and chambers a new one and allows you to start firing again. And you have to do this every time between rounds being fired. You know, like I said, if you watch any movies with shotguns, a lot of times Hollywood likes the pump-action shotgun because it gives them some sort of action to throw in there. You're not just pulling a trigger. You're actually manipulating the weapon. So that would be a consideration also. Now, the advantages of a pump-action shotgun are it will fire a huge variety of ammo because it doesn't rely on the recoil or gas escaping the barrel to function the action. 
with semi-automatics, they can be a little finicky sometimes. Some of the systems have gotten a lot better where they have self-adjusting recoiling systems that is that are adjusted by the size of the shell or the recoil or when it's fired the gassing off of the of the weapon is is regulated in such a way that it doesn't overpower the action and that it doesn't underpower the action. Usually underpowering is one of the things that a, a semi-auto shotgun will have the most trouble with. Because a lot of times they set them up for certain types of shells and to shoot less powerful shells takes either an adjustable range or adjustments to be made on the weapon itself to be able to function with those. So that's something to be aware of also. If you're going to shoot multiple types of ammo, a semi-automatic gun is a lot more difficult to change up the type of shells you're using, while a pump action will pretty much handle anything you throw at it or in it because you're acting as the functional mechanism. You're pumping that action to dis... to extract the old shell, eject it, and bring a new one up to play. Now, this comes in handy when you're shooting unusual types of shells. The standard shotgun shell is two and three-quarter inches long. And there are also three-inch shells, which have a little bit more power, a little bit more load. And most semi-autos can handle two and three-quarter or three-inch shells without too much trouble if they have a self-regulating gas system or they're recoil-operated. Now, they're also, they have these new shells out. I think we have like one and a half or one and three quarter inch shells. They're small. And the advantages of these is that you can fit almost two to one or one and a half to one in your shotgun tubular magazine. Right, I said tubular magazine. If you have a, a magazine fed, a, like a box magazine feed a clip as most people would call it if you have a magazine box on your weapon these are not a viable option because they don't fit into the box magazine properly if you have a tube fed magazine and a pump action shotgun chances are you can use these mini shells and they increase your capacity tremendously so that's something to consider too the variety of ammo you can use in a pump action shotgun is greater and there's less likely to be a failure due to misgassing or misoperating of the shotgun so okay pick one that you like do a little research see what you think is going to work best for your needs if you want more variety in shell usage look for a pump action if you want simplicity repeatability and fast firing options the semi-automatic is probably a better choice for you. Next, you're going to say, okay, now I have my shotgun. I got my pistol. What am I going to get next? What do I need? What would help round out this collection? And my answer to that would be a rifle. Now, a lot of you say, oh, I don't need a rifle. I'm not going hunting. Well, a rifle is not just for hunting. What a, the, the rifle's main objective is to extend your range. Your pistol is good out to maybe 75 to 100 yards max. You can probably count on it being out to 50 yards is probably pretty assuredly. Without a lot of practice, 50 yards is about as much as you'd want to use on a pistol in a self-defense situation. Now, granted, if you just need to spray and pray and need to, you know, keep somebody undercover or behind concealment, you know, the more rounds of any kind of ammo you can fire downrange, the better off you're going to be. But most pistols have a limited range because if you consider a pistol, you're holding it with both hands because, you know, that's gun, that's true gun control using both hands. So you got this pistol with two hands, you're holding it tight, you've learned how to aim, you've learned how to master the recoil, but you're still holding it with only two points. 
you're holding with two pivot points. Each hand acts as a pivot point that goes to your shoulders to steady your weapon. Now, when you're firing a rifle, you have three pivot points. You have your strong hand on the on the grip part of the rifle. You have your weak hand on the front or the forend part of the rifle. And the butt end of the rifle is in your shoulder. So you have three points of contact with your body when firing a rifle. This gives you an increased amount of stability and an increased amount of range because you have more stability. It's easier to aim. You can hold a steadier target. Plus, rifles usually have more powerful ammunition, which also extends the range. So what you're doing with your pistol is, I mean, with your rifle, is you're trying to get extended range. Your pistol is good out to about 50, maybe 75 yards. Same thing with the shotgun, not much more than that. But a rifle can be out to several hundred yards easily. Even a small caliber rifle can get you out to several hundred yards. Now, if you live in a strictly urban environment, this may not be something you would think about all the time. But perhaps if you're firing down a busy street, if you need to stop people or if you decide you want to go hunting, a rifle is what you need. You want to extend that range that you're going to use to either get game or defend yourself and your family against potential bad guys. Because if the bad guys have pistols and you have a rifle, you have a huge advantage over them. Without a doubt, you have the extended range. You can keep them at bay, keep them where they can't reach you as easily with their pistol when you have your rifle out. But. But. Oh, there's a but. Okay. A B-U-T-T. No. Um, But it's like everything else. You need practice in that rifle. Oh, yeah. Because that bullet is falling as it's moving forward. And, you know, I use... We used to call it Kentucky windage. When I was in the Army, you know, and we would be shooting 300 yards or better. Right. And, uh, you know, you have to take that into consideration that your target ain't moving, but the bullet is going down. So if you want to hit in the upper part of the chest of the target, you aim high and figure that it's going to fall and... That's how I shot expert on it. Right. And that would be, uh, that would apply to pistols going beyond 25 or 35 yards. Sure. There's going to be a little bit of drop there, but that's something you learn as you get into your training phase of things. But so you're going to pick out your rifle and you may wonder, well, what kind of rifle is good? And I know people are going to have controversial opinions on that. Some people like bolt action rifles. Some people like pump action rifles. Some people like semi automatic rifles. It depends on what you're going to do with it. The one thing I never understood with Davy Crockett or, or Boone or any of the rest of them was when they'd lick their thumb and put it on the far side. Now, what that I never could understand. You mean they lick a, they lick it and hold their finger up? No, that was oh. for windage. Right, that now, was this, to get a wind judgment. This, this was at the far the side at the end of the rifle. I have no idea what that's for. <laughs> I think I it was a know. bull. <laughs> I think it might have been a Hollywood enhancement. <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Just to make it look I like, like your T-shirt, by the way. Oh, do you? My Blackwater T-shirt? Yeah. Yes, sir. If Absolutely. It, they, are, they are defunct now, but I believe Eric Prince still if, has... Uh, it weren't for them, this country would be in deep... Deeper doo-doo than they are now. Yep. Although Joe Biden is trying to roll us back to those days. But anyway, that's more of a political opinion we'll leave to uh, On Point with Victor. Well, we used to, we had a couple of Blackwater folks on back. Back oh, in the day? Yeah, I guess probably uh, easy 10 years ago. Yeah. Well, they've changed names a couple times since then. I think most yeah. recently 
they have been bought out by a company called Constellus. Or not Constellus. They didn't bought out. They merged with a company called Constellus. But I believe Eric Prince, the guy who started and ran Blackwater for years, is still involved in it. And now they're involved in making custom weapons and custom ammunition and stuff also. Hmm, that I so, don't know. Yeah. they. Uh, I saw an interview with him, and they were talking about their new rifle and new rifle caliber that they were bringing out for you know, super long-range precision shooting. And it looks like it's a really nice piece of weaponry. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Huh. So, and I'm sure it wasn't cheap either. Most of their stuff, anything that they sell with their name on it usually isn't. But they usually make stuff to be incredibly reliable and very effective and of the highest quality. Because they know people are using their stuff or using stuff in their field. They need the very best there is. There's no room for compromise when your life is on the line. So take that in mind when you're buying weapons also. Don't get the cheapest possible thing you can find because this is going to be something you're going to use to defend your life with. Do you want it to be the cheapest possible version or do you want it to be at least a quality version that is known for reliability, dependability, and accuracy? Of course, you want all three of those together. And there are compromises at different price ranges where you can still get the best possible degree of all three of those things and not have too much of a compromise and have a variety of price points. So be aware of that when you're shopping for weapons also. That's something you have to know. Now with the rifle point. Yeah, with the rifle though, I prefer semi automatics because pumps are for hairspray. And rifle ammo is very consistent across the board as far as you don't have the same variety as you do in shotguns. And semi automatics are fairly easy to use. They provide backup shots very quickly once you learn how to use them again training is the key but if you're going to learn how to use something learn how to use a semi-automatic it's probably the most popular weapon in the world as far as armies military police go it's the best for self-defense and the caliber availability is massive you can get one that's capable of hunting almost any large game in america any small game in america and anything along the way and the versatility and being able to change a caliber on some of them, on some of the AR varieties, AR-10s, AR-15s, that is unprecedented. It's amazing. Roger, we've never really talked about this to my knowledge or I don't believe we have, but, you know, obviously if you're at a range and uh, you're shooting at a target, paper target or whatever, uh, you can tell where you hit and your pattern and so forth and so on. However, if you're in a situation, ducked down, firing from your upstairs window, how important, or I think it would be vitally important, if you could have a spotter that says, uh, that shot was low and to the left, you need to come up uh, three feet and, uh, you know, to the right just a bit. Yeah, if that's available to you, absolutely. But like I say, the main thing is preparing the weapon ahead of time. If you have a scope on it, you have sights on it, when you take it to the range, make sure you know that they're hitting properly, they're on target, and there's not a problem. Oh, looks like we have run out of time. We have done run out of time. I'm Roger B. This has been Locked and Loaded, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.